I'm not going to surprise anybody by saying the first thing you need to understand if you're a private equity investor and you're going to be sharing this with your executive search firm to work with or you're going to hire yourselves um, directly is you first need to understand the firm's culture. And what I mean by that is I don't mean that the answer is we're a hardworking collaborative team who pulls together and gets things done. What I mean really is really understand what it's like right now and what you want the desired outcome to be. This is the ERP Organizational Change Journal podcast, brought to you by Nestle & Associates, a Newport Beach, California-based ERP organizational change management firm serving the private equity industry. The ERP OCJ seeks to share expertise, insight, experience, and research, and to create effective conversation to help guide ERP organizational change to real, measurable, and verified success. And now, here's your ERP expert and host, the founder of Nestle & Associates, Dr. Jack Nestle. Hello everyone, Jack here. In this episode, we will dive into the world of executive recruitment for private equity firms and their portfolio companies. We will explore the critical role that top performing talent plays in driving business success and how meticulous search and due diligence can help de-risk recruitment. Our expert guest shares insights on what makes a good private equity executive, the risk to portfolio companies when the right executive fit is not in place, and the value proposition of conducting culture fit assessments. We'll also discuss the process of conducting a culture fit assessment, how it can help identify proven senior executives for portfolio companies. This episode is a must listen for private equity firms and their portfolio companies looking to attract top talent and gain the edge they need to reach their full potential. Our guest today is a specialist in executive recruitment for private equity firms and their portfolio companies. As the founder and managing partner of Raw Selection, he has helped numerous companies build teams of A players to reach their full potential. With a focus on de-risking executive recruitment, our guest has a deep understanding of the critical role top-performing talent plays in driving business success. He is here to share valuable insights on the importance of culture, fit assessments, and strategies for mitigating risk in PE executive recruitment. From Leeds, England, Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me here, Jack. Alex, uh, thank you very much. We're, we're really looking forward to this, uh, really looking forward to your insight. And, you know, this is a highly relevant topic to ERP organizational change because I strongly believe that at the end of the day, leadership is the crucial factor for successful organizational change in general, but certainly ERP organizational change. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. But Alex, before we get started, can you share more about yourself to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. We um, so Jack did a pretty good intro there. There's not much for me to add, but I'll uh, I'll top up on the top. So we're a, um, a executive search firm. We work exclusively with the private equity industry. We don't work with any firms outside of it. So we uh, we'd like to think we know it uh, with pretty well. We we've got two divisions in our business. We work with private equity firms directly to appoint their investment and back office teams, and we also work with their portfolio companies to appoint their C-suite executives. Uh, into their portfolio to obviously drive it to uh, to a liquidity event. So based in the UK, we do most of our business in North America. Um, we do a little bit of work across Europe, should have been American, and my life would have been easier and I wouldn't have to work so late. And <laughs> yeah, I've been in this market now for uh, probably far too long, probably 13, 14 years uh, of operating in this. We're continuing to grow our shop here and working with some phenomenal private equity firms 
in uh, in the market. And we only work with low middle market. So we don't work with large cap guys. We work in what I'd regard as the, uh, the sexy end of the market rather than buying big businesses and uh, and flipping them. So I think low middle market is more exciting, but I'm sure I'll change my tune when we, uh, when we eventually break into the big caps in uh, 10, 15 years time. Got it. Well, thank you, Alex. I appreciate it. We're excited and, and honored to have you today. And again, your expertise in executive recruitment uh, for private equity firms and their portfolio companies. I think our listeners are going to find your insights valuable for sure. So thank you very much. Listeners, all of us here at the ERP OCJ hope you find this podcast useful as we share lessons learned, discover best practices, and explore the human element components of ERP organizational change. Please stay with us till the end. Alex will give his actionable golden nugget of advice based on today's conversation, and I will recap today's key discoveries and offer my suggestions on how to implement what we learned today. Because our conversations are built around the listen and learn approach, it's when you apply what you've learned that you begin to move the needle forward. So let's dive in. So Alex, my first set of questions here are really, I just want to explore this idea of what makes a good private equity executive. And so can you share with our listeners about your experience working with private equity firms and their portfolio companies and what you've learned about hiring for executive roles? Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, look, the private equity industry is absolutely jam-packed with incredibly intelligent individuals the portfolio companies are full of incredible executives. But if there's one thing that I've learned, the, having the job title of chief executive, CFO, COO, it does not mean that you're exceptional at what you do. Yeah. And unfortunately for a lot of private equity executives out there, what one good executive has done at one company doesn't guarantee, as I'm sure you'll all realize, that they're going to be good at the next one. Um, and unfortunately, there's plenty of paper executives, but they don't make exceptional leaders to uh, to come into businesses. So what I'd say around that, because it's easy for me to say that and then leave you all thinking, well, what do we do about it? The the criteria here for, for avoiding such scenarios is the deep dive into what the actual need of the business is and the criteria of the executive. Um, and in linking into uh, what Jack said there about the golden nugget, um, the old, if you stay till the end type process, um, I'll give you the actual process of how to deal with that and how to negate the issue that you will have of bringing executives in and them not being right. Royal Selection has an incredible reputation um, that since I founded the business back in 2017, we have a 100% retention rate on uh, private equity C-suite executive appointments that we've completed since we started the business. Nobody has left the business within the first year. And that is the key critical success factor of an organization that can you hold that. We've had multiple people leave in the, in between the first year and the second year. Um, but the only reason that's happened is because they've exited the business. Um, mm -hmm. They've sold and obviously uh, sold in those parts to a strategic and then moved on. So we do have a, a really good process that we follow, but it's that's very much it. There's really good executives in, in the market. There's some incredible people, certainly at private equity level, certainly at portfolio level. But just because you've got the job title doesn't mean you're exceptional at what you do. Yeah. Well, you know, Alex, I would say that's quite the proof in the pudding metric uh, that your team has the 100% success rate within the first year uh, with retention. I mean, you know, in this world, that, that's pretty impressive. Um, We'd like to think so. <laughs> yeah. So, so Alex, in general, you know, one of the things, as, as I'd mentioned earlier, this conversation is highly relevant to our practice of ERP organizational change because, uh, you know, I think effective leadership, effective and efficient leadership is the key. 
and I really have spent a lot of time formally and informally studying leadership. But what do you think are some of the key skills and attributes that you believe are essential for success in a PE executive role? So, you know, it's kind of a general question, but is there any rhyme or reason or or maybe patterns is the better way to ask the question in terms of skills and attributes that you see in your your most successful executives? Yeah, so there's there's two there's two elements that we've got here. We've got your private equity professionals, so you you your deal makers, your people in the business, um, and the people in the back office of the business. I don't like the term back office, but I haven't come up with a better better option of that. And then obviously mm-hmm. you've got your executives in your portfolio companies, which you know being a private equity investor, they're probably the latter's where you find more of your challenges. Um, what are the key skills and attributes? that you believe are essential. And this is something I ask a lot on the, on the podcast. And what's interestingly enough is I get lots of, uh, on the, my own podcast that I run. Um, what, what's interesting enough is I get lots of answers around hard work, motivated, self-driven. Like I have not seen a job specification written up by a recruiter or, or a business where they haven't asked for somebody who's self-motivated. And uh, if every criteria of a business for a hiring had self-motivated in there, then you know, we would probably have a lot less problems than we do with yeah. the churn and, and turnover of executives that we see both in private equity. And I know that happens in, you know, what I regard as the normal world, um, if uh, if that's the right term uh, to group the rest. So this is a bit of a million dollar question. The answer is, I'm going to give simple, but equally yeah. there's a lot of complexity to it. And we could spend probably the next two hours working this out. Um the problem is, if I gave you the key skills and attributes that will make an executive um, a success, you could also go, well, this person had it and they didn't make it successful for whatever reason. So mm. one thing I always say is it depends on what you want and depends on what you need. Private equity firms, in my experience, are very good at deciding the type of executive they want, but sometimes not always the executive that the business needs if we focus on the portfolio side. So it's getting a really clear picture of that. And again, that links into the kind of final pieces. I'll give you the, the process of how to run that. But one is them having the level of experience that you need in order to deliver the outcomes that you're looking for. Um, and two, if I look at any executive that I speak to, the very difference between the motivation, hard work, driven, do whatever it takes, time mentality, is simply that, that the executive has the desire to do whatever it takes to get the job done and get the job done well. And that seems to be the difference between a good executive and a bad executive is they have the experience that you require and that you need in order to deliver the outcomes of the business. And there's a lot of complexity in that. Just because they've worked at a competitor doesn't mean they've got that skill set. And secondly, is they have that desire. If you look at anybody who's a top performer in an organization who has consistently outperformed themselves, and I don't mean got to the top and sat there um, Mm. as a custard cream salesperson, for example, who's their best in the business because he knows everybody, but he's beating themselves year in, year out, um, is growing businesses, developing X, Y, and Z, is that desire to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And I mean that ethically because I appreciate that could be taken um, from a negative connotation, but let's all assume we're we're ethical business individuals and make sure that that job is done well. And those two factors are what I believe P firms need to look for when hiring executives, clarity on experience and what the business needs, not what you want, and then finding those individuals with the desire to do whatever it takes to get the job done and well. Oh, well said. Uh, thanks, Alex. Uh, especially the part, uh, what the business needs and not what you want. So being very clear on those needs because it's all contextual, right? It's all based on context and, and what the business needs 
just because, as you mentioned, being a good leader in one organization may not translate to being a good leader in another organization necessarily. And like you said, I think having the skills and attributes is one thing, but transitioning or translating those to action is another thing, right? And then also context is a major factor. You know, this idea of motivation, hard work, desire, and getting the job done, I mean, that that's not always an easy thing to measure. So let me ask you this, Alex, based on that, then how do you assess candidates for these roles? And what are some of your factors? Um, what's some of the factors that you consider when making hiring decisions then based on your previous response? Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's assume we have a really clear um, understanding of what the business needs and what the business requires and therefore the outcomes that we're looking to get to. Mm-hmm. Th- this is the sole reason why so many mistakes are made is because those uh, those factors are not detailly understood. And, it, and I will reiterate, that is a lot of mistakes made, even when you think you've got it right, is really reflecting on that. Mm-hmm. So providing we've got that, we're then looking at how do we assess the individuals Believe it or not, my perception is the hard part is actually identifying a large number of individuals to therefore have an assessment process. So, for example, if you were looking to change ERP system, um, if you were only given one option as an ERP, that ERP system is going to look either uh, probably pretty attractive against no ERP. So yeah. we need a plethora of, uh, of individuals to assess at all at a similar level that have the right experience, etc. So there's nothing radical here with regards to how that assessment works. There's, I'm sure everybody listening here has been through or led an interview process, and it's just about the detailed questioning and rigorous interview process that happens from there. So we just spend, I say all of our time, the majority of our time we are spent assessing that individual against the requirements that we have and the need that we have. Um, assessing each individual area, whether that be from a, they need to have grown business from this to this. Now, that seems quite a simple assessment to understand. We need to mm-hmm. have grown EBITDA from this to this. And it's being able to pick, going through the history of the individual and assessing against, we need this criteria for this, this, and this, and therefore we will measure the criteria of this candidate. And these are the outcomes we're looking for. Have they had these outcomes? Have they achieved what we want them to have achieved in what we want this business, we want them to achieve in this organization? And it's measuring against that. What I tend to find is a lot of recruiters tend to try and sell a We've got a we've got a system that identifies top talent, and the amount of times even I was taught to sell that we top, work with the top five percent. And when I asked the question internally of how do we know if they're the top five percent, it said, "Well, no, it sounds good on a sales profile." <laughs> um, yeah, if it was top five percent, and that top five percent could move from GE, I'm just going to use big um, big corporates here, GE to um, I don't know Exxon Mobil. Uh, and grow that if ExxonMobil still exists. I've no idea. Shell is probably a better example. Then, you know, that executive just moved to there and then make it successful. But chances are that wouldn't work because G is a different business to a to an oil yeah. producer and uh, going through there. So the criteria here depends on that assessment process for what you're then going to question and fire through in order for that person to be assessed correctly. So when I, I can't answer the question by going through and telling you here's all the criteria because it depends on what you're looking for. But but to help here and give some level of guidance, most portfolio companies want to do X to Y. Most portfolio companies want to achieve a revenue, an EBITDA number um, in the future, and then 
we look at that. So have we got a person that's achieved and done that? Yes. Can we back that up through research of, is this person telling us the truth? Did that business go through that exit? There's then the detailed process of how involved in the process was that person, right? The amount of chief executives or CFOs that we've interviewed just because they're the two most commonly replaced positions that have been passengers in processes of exit that have been there but didn't actually do the process. The private equity firm did it. So you've got to go into the detail here of was it them that achieved it or was it the private equity firm that did it or was it actually the chief executive and they were a passenger yeah. learned from the process yeah. and they've done that three times in their career. So yeah. the, the key criteria questions and the assessment comes from what are you looking to do without going through you know tons of questions which – uh, may or may not be relevant, but then it's then diving in. So if you think about the key criteria you want to do for your portfolio company right now, look at the outcomes you're looking to do, measure the candidate up against that if you're doing it or just use an executive search phone to you. But of course I'd say that. Um, <laughs> then literally go into detail on did they run the process? Did you meet with the investment bankers on the exit process? Did you do this? What, what challenges did you come through? And then break that down into granular detail based on what you're looking for them to achieve. And don't just look at the, the top line outcomes with regards to the assessment of the candidate. Look into the potential challenges. One of the key areas that we regularly see from a CFO perspective is ERP, uh, ERP implementation. That nicely fits into uh, uh, to what you guys do there. But if you're going to need that change on an ERP basis, has the profile done that? Have they worked with the, the ERP system that you may want to use in order to implement that? Have they done it in a similar environment? It might be that they don't have that, but they've got everything else. Um, yeah. And therefore, you might need to outsource that and bring that in. But the, the challenge comes when you miss too many of those gaps, and therefore, it just ends up causing problems. Yeah, absolutely. Great insight there. And, you know, we've seen cases, you know, over and over where we've seen leaders that are very charismatic, and they've had some success at a previous port call. But then in their next role, they've lasted six months. You know, I could provide several examples on that. And it's just to all the points that you're making. You know, there, there's a lot of things to really look at and understand to make sure that they're the right fit in that context for that organization. And I think that's a significant piece of the puzzle that private equity firms need to understand. Um, but what would you say are some of the biggest challenges that PE firms face when they're hiring executives and, and how do you help them overcome those challenges? And I know I think through your answers to the previous questions, I think you've covered some of that. But, you know, in general, as a PE firm, what's their biggest challenges and, and why do they go to Alex and your company to begin with? Yeah. So the f first thing I'd say is, is that understanding piece. So it's a bit of reiteration there, but actually understanding the criteria of what you need. Yeah. I think, again, I'd challenge any private equity executive is when did you last get trained in interviewing people? I challenge any private equity executive, and I don't mean to be confrontational here, but nor am I saying that we're experts and we do X, Y, and Z, and oh God, we know everything. Um, yeah. That's absolutely not. I'm not going to start sitting down and saying I know more about an LBO than, than anybody else. But what I'd say is, is just that challenging the thinking around what is the criteria of what's needed in the business in order to achieve. There's too many mistakes made in private equity through hiring the wrong executives. Mm -hmm. and, and I know this because we clean up, mm -hmm. okay? We have to come in because there's been an executive that's been brought in. And fundamentally, it's because we haven't understood. And I, I put the recruitment firm with that as well. We haven't clearly understood exactly what the business needs in order to go through its process to do a completion um, and do 
do a liquidity event. So that'd be the first thing is understanding that. What are the outcomes? What do we want to achieve? And what are the challenges that we'll face? And uh, break into that. And I know we're going to talk about culture later. So th- there's also that that element to be challenged yeah. on there. The, the other, I suppose the other area that I see as a big challenge is a lot of these mistakes are made is, you know, is, is also going out as low middle market and hitting the Shrek firms. Now, of course, I'm, I'm going to challenge any thinking with regards to who you're working with and what you're doing, but I'm not saying, yeah, you have to work with raw selection. Oh, yeah, we're the best. We can do X, Y, and Z. It's not my positioning. My positioning is working with the right executive search firm that can support you and your firm. If your name isn't Warburg Pincus, Carlisle Group, I'd challenge maybe that thinking. If you're having issues, if you're working with one of, if you're working with a firm and they, they're nailing it, it doesn't have to be Shrek. And Strex fans is all the initials of, of the big executive search firms. So anybody mm-hmm. wondering why I'm quoting yeah. a cartoon, um, <laughs> then it's it's about thinking. Well, why why is that not working out? Now, I, the reason I mentioned Shrek is because Shrek like working with Wahlberg, Pincus, Carlisle Group because their salaries can be obviously extenuated both in the private equity firm but also in the portfolio. Mm-hmm. So it's about making sure that you're identifying the right talent and bringing the right individuals in, but also making sure you're working with the right firm that's going to invest time, energy, and resources into any type of process. Because the amount of, the reason I say that is because the amount of searches that we see, either executives are brought in incorrectly and they're not the right person, or secondly, um, which can be a mistake of the private equity firm, mistake of the executive search firm, um, both in, in most occasions. And then secondly is not being able to actually complete on a search, which is too regularly an occurrence. Um, there's a very large executive search, um, private equity firm that I spoke to that's got less than a 32% conversion rate um, mm. on uh, searches. Wow. And I'm just like, well, that's just madness. Mm. So identifying the right talent is very simple. It is data of the people in the right organizations, in the right type of businesses, and then approaches. It's a bit like sales. So all you're looking for is to be able to identify the right people and then approach them en masse. And it's about working with the right firm that works in your space. It's, I can't remember which book I read that defines that quite well, but what they said in paraphrasing, but never work with a firm where you're the biggest. Never work with a firm where you're the smallest. You want to work with mm. a firm where you are above medium, so you're highly valued, but you're not the largest because it probably means that they're probably not able to accommodate for you. But equally, you don't want to be the P firm that's working with a big executive search firm and you're not getting the level of service. I, I reiterate, yeah. if you're getting it, don't move, don't change, stick with what you're doing. But that level of service isn't as good because they're chasing the bigger books and you're actually the small fish and therefore you're getting past to, no disrespect to juniors in a firm, but you're getting past to people who probably don't have the level of expertise um, and experience and the partners you know, probably out for dinner with somebody of more value. So Mm. That's a few challenges in there. I apologize. That's a little bit of a burning point for me because I'm sick of, you know, it's great because we get approached all the time from private equity firms now wanting to solve the problem. But just that that level of working with the right firm and due diligence beforehand just saves you the mistake of hiring the wrong person, um, but also secondly, uh, not getting anybody in the first place and having a gap for ages. Mm, good information there, Alex. And you know the the first set of questions really are focused more on what makes a good executive and fit and context. And if you don't mind, I'd like to maybe slightly shift gears and talk some about the risk of the wrong executive fit for portfolio companies. So what does that look like? What are some of the risks that a portfolio company can face when the wrong executive is in place? 
And how can these risks impact the success of the business, you know, the transition? And, uh, you know, obviously, most mergers and acquisitions, uh, you know, especially post-close, can be a highly disruptive time and certainly a, a very transformational time typically within the organization. But what are the risks to that, to that challenge to begin with if the portfolio company doesn't have the right executive in place? So you've got, you've got two challenges. You've got the wrong executive, and then you've also got no executive. Um, I'd argue that no executive is better than the wrong one, um, mm. but at least you're going somewhere if you've, uh, if you've got it. I think it's probably, it's probably an easy one for everyone listening here that's a private equity investor to think, uh, yeah, we definitely know what that feels like. And we definitely know what the outcomes of the challenges is. It purely comes down to, to realistically, your mm-hmm. outcome for your goals are either not going to happen. And I can, well, you can probably tell me, for those listening, the ULPs are not going to be very happy about that. Mm-hmm. And then secondly, it's just going to be longer. So you're either not achieving what you set out to do, which is a business of 100 million from 20 um, and an EBITDA of 40 million, which gives you the IRR of 2.5 and whatever it is you're going for. You're either going to miss or you're going to extend your process, which, okay, fine. You know, venture's fine with that one in 10 uh, type approach, but that's not really fair and not really accommodated in private equity. So that can be the, the real, you know, what we call the headline type issue. But you then break into things a little bit smaller and you begin to lose the good people in the business. You begin to lose the people that may have actually been the people that could have helped turn things around with no executive. And mm. nobody likes to be in a bad environment. Nobody likes to be in a business that's set to achieve something and, and isn't going there. So, and you then look at the private equity firm and raising capital. We're in a very difficult market right now from a capital raise perspective. And the only thing you can look at is how well has your firm performed? And if you're struggling to raise capital and the, the answer to that question is probably you haven't performed as well. You might have smashed it out of the park, but you, and you struggle in relationships. That could be the case, but it's likely that your performance hasn't done as well. And then you've only got to look at, have we hired the right executives to bring it in? And have we invested in the right companies? Now, providing you've done the right of the latter and the right business is there, it's the executives to, to bring in to drive that business to the right right outcome. And there's such a follow-on and a problem that curtails from this that just getting the right people in the right seats, whether that be in the portfolio company or the private equity firm, we can all we can all think if and if we all imagine now the 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 person that you've got that you're just like, God, if I could just twin him, if I could just clone that person, I can have three of John's, three of Jane's, and just run them across the portfolio companies, um, and they'd be smashing it. Three people in the associate level that that would just kill it. And we're all like, yes. And we know the value that they bring um, and what comes in there. Now the caveat to that is the danger of, um, which I talk about fairly bit internally here, is which is what we we really try and avoid is the average um, performer. Low performers and underperformers get culled. Okay, the problem is the average performer tends to sit in the business and remain um, because they're not enough of a problem that you want them out, but they're not high performers which are driving the business in the right way. But neither they're causing you a huge amount of problems. And that at the C-suite level is a really, really, real big issue because that will extenuate your process more than having a bad performer in because they tend to go immediately. Whereas your average performers, which we talk about the run executives in place, will just 
quell the business. And I've seen multiple private equity firms have issues with that. And, you know, especially low middle market, especially if it's deal by deal, especially if not a huge amount of pressure to exit immediately um, in fund cycles, then just holding on to those executives for far too long. And then deals go by the wayside. You get a one return, you get an even worse uh, return on your capital. You sell it back to the founder dealing with a private equity firm that's just uh, uh, approached us about a search and they've just had to hand, it, hand the keys back to the founder and try and sell him it back um, because it's not worked out type process. So, you know, the, everyone's heard of the nightmare outcomes and uh, and the nightmare scenarios, but, you know, we've just got to protect private equity investors' careers and make sure that they're continuing to make good decisions on the portfolio side, which is what they've done. Private equity firms do so well with their due diligence process and then the good executives into those businesses to drive them to exit so they can continue to raise capital and people like me and people like you, Jack, can continue to supply the industry and support these businesses and support its growth. So it's it's absolutely damn critical. Yeah, and, and it's so you know it's really not the organizational capital in terms of the time, money, and effort for both the the Porco and the private equity firm. You know, as you'd mentioned, there the the risk is that it can have a major impact on raising capital, on operational and financial performance, and you know there's there's plenty of research that shows effective leadership. Uh, in culture, which I, I do want to ask you some questions, you know, in regards to culture, but there's no doubt that effective leadership and the right person that creates the right organizational culture has a significant impact on operational and financial performance. So, you know, the the risk is uh, of not getting the right leadership in place is substantial. So do you mind, uh, can you share any examples of situations where you've seen the wrong executive fit have a negative impact on a portfolio company? And what did you do to address the situation? So you shared, you know, what is the right fit? What's a good leader look like? What the risk is? But can we maybe just drill a little bit deeper? And do you have a tangible example that you can share? Unfortunately, I've got a lot. Um, so we've, we've done a number of replacements in businesses and we've seen a number of issues. Uh, I've seen executives in there for far too long. And usually it's the case. If you start thinking if you need to you need to exit somebody, they're not right. And then you wait in six months, a year, three months, then you've, uh, you've already made your decision when you start discussing that at the boardroom table when they're not there or discussing that with one of your partners in a private equity firm, uh, one of your colleagues there. So uh, yeah, I've got multiple examples, unfortunately. Uh, one of which was, I won't mention any names because the private equity firms won't thank me. Oh, um, but right. the yeah, portfolio company, of a uh, organization based in the US. Uh, Chief executive had taken on the onus or valiant choice of deciding to sue one of their suppliers for and spent an absolute fortune in uh, and decided to defend himself without a lawyer. So saved a little bit of money there and then ended up losing and had to pay all the legal costs defending a mistake that he made in the business. So, which was all, it was an e-commerce business and they, they made a fundamental error uh, on spend and uh, he decided to sue them. And then it actually it took the business into liquidation. The private equity firm uh, managed to save it. And we got a chief executive in there who then took that through to, uh, uh, through to a liquidity event. Uh, another business where it was a organization, uh, again, up in the West Coast of the, of the US, um, uh, Northwest Coast and... Uh, it was an organization which really bad culture, um, really bad ex- built out executive team, uh, which fundamentally stemmed from a chief executive who'd been there for, I think, nine years and, again, was taking that business down the wrong way. He wasn't modernizing the business, wasn't taking it into new, uh, utilizing technology. Everything ran old school. Uh, the investors uh, and the 
obviously the debt holders uh, with it being an LBO transaction, which Stanley's put significant pressure on because people wanted to exit. It had been an incredibly long time. And uh, again, when the, the chief exec actually that we we introduced into the business who exited that business in a year and a half, which was three years ahead of, of what they thought they would get, uh, a, a level of exit on and, uh, and got a very good multiple and, and very good IRR return on that uh, of, uh, of Moik. So, you know, the issue was that when you actually end up looking under the layers of what was happening in that business, there was just so many fundamental problems. There were so many ex- executives and so many managers and so many people in the business that had been hired to hide the issues and hide the problems and and the relationship with the private equity firm had broken down you know the board conversations were just the same discussion over and over again and there's so many examples of things like this that i can that i can communicate of um you know lack of execution from from executives tends to be the the main thing i've i've done replacements of unfortunately racism and bullying uh, chief executives who it all comes down to when you see elements of this, the executive is out of their comfort zone. The executive is out of their knowledge and capability. They may be able to return that. And I'm not saying, you know, just because people can't do what they need to do doesn't mean that they can't do it in the future. But we're not in a business of holding onto a company for 30 years and growing it from five to 10 million and thinking that's an achievement. This is five-year turnarounds. This is three-year turnarounds, seven-year turnarounds. And therefore, the executive has to know what they're doing. And if you're seeing that in the portfolio companies, I'm afraid it's because most likely, nine times out of 10, the executive that you have in that business is just not right. The executive that you have in that business is out of their depth, and they will create every reason around it to try and put it onto someone else, to hire an executive, to bring someone else in, to, you know, and the good people will exit fast. And they will go to somewhere better, they will go to somewhere nicer, and your rubbish people will stay because that environment suits them and they can hide and they can be protected and they can remain in a business that isn't doing well and can blame the market. They can blame whoever. They can blame the person who used to work there. They blame the good person that, um, for leaving them, whatever around there. So far too many examples of that. And it's easy to talk about these scenarios and I'm sure everyone's got their war stories, but all I'd say is just being able to identify that earlier, being able to identify that mistake quicker and then being able to learn from that and bring the right executive in by using the steps that we've discussed earlier and from Azure Shell it. Well, great examples, Alex. Thank you. I mean, you you know, risk can't be any more severe or realized than that. Those are some pretty serious consequences of poor leadership. And, you know, there, there's a lot of research on organizational culture and leadership and discussions around what's the rhyme and reason, what are the patterns of effective leadership, which I find to be a, a, just a fascinating topic. And conversations around such ideas as, you know, transformational leadership, uh, transactional leadership, servant leadership, and so on. And it sounds to me like you dig deep into two fronts, right? One is you make sure you understand the individual, you know, what success did they have and why did they have it precisely? And, you know, so you dig into that experience and you dig into those skills and, and traits as much as you possibly can to really understand the individual. But then you dig deep into the specific requirements of that portfolio company. So you don't just assume because success happened somewhere else that, that it's going to happen for this particular portfolio company. It, it sounds like you, through the mechanism and, and, the, and the tools and the methods that you've described so far, you try to make sure that those two are as aligned as much as possible. Uh, is that a fair yeah. uh, summary? That's ab- absolutely, absolutely the case. And wh- what's on, on top of that? If, if you're thinking about how on earth do we identify if we're making these mistakes and we're not 
getting the right executives in and we've got a one in two hit rate of hiring and, and them being right. Ask yourself this question. Once you've identified the outcomes of what you want to do, which most ex- private equity investors are actually tremendous at because they've done the due diligence and they know where they want to take the business. What are the challenges that executives will face coming into this organization? And if your recruiters aren't asking that questions, ask them to ask you it mm. and, uh, and give them that information. They're going to face this. They're going to face that. They're going to face this. This will be difficult. That'll be hard. This will be a real challenge for the business. This will work. This doesn't happen. We're, this, we're not happy with the firm's culture. We're not happy with this, this, and this. And that then we'll be able to build the picture because then you can get the experience side right at the very minimum to mm. then know exactly what you're looking for. And then that takes us into the, the kind of cultural aspect of what we Yeah. And, and speaking of the cultural aspect, and thank you for your time, Alex. This is a fun conversation. Before I let you go, I, I have about three more questions or so, uh, and I'd like to discuss culture with you a little bit. So how important is culture fit when it comes to ensuring a good executive fit? And how do you balance this with other hiring criteria? Yeah. So I think the, the, the culture element is played a little bit by recruiters as, as a little bit of a mystery. And when you kind of go into it, there's no real detail around it. But the cultural assessment is as important as the experience required details. And I'm not going to surprise anybody by saying the first thing you need to understand if you're a private equity investor and you're going to be sharing this with your executive search firm to work with or you're going to hire yourselves um, directly is you first need to understand the firm's culture. And what I mean by that is I don't mean that the answer is we're a hardworking collaborative team who pulls together and gets things done. What I mean really is really understand what it's like right now and what you want the desired outcome to be as that executive will need to change drive mold and turn that into what you want Mm -hmm. and then building this out into the requirement the role profile the scorecard the job specification um, whatever you're going to call it of that business so that is absolute criteria most firms will go well it's this it's that it's this or we don't really know the crap culture and we don't really know what it's like if it's low middle market and we're making a change um, we've acquired the business it's first time founder owned and you're going to make that business into a now a growth machine, and, and you've obviously identified that through DD, then there's going to have to be cultural changes. It's probably been a bit sleepy. There probably mm-hmm. isn't the quite up and go that you've seen previously. Um, it can be a bit different if it's already done a private equity exit, the, the wheels are already turning. But you know, there's going to be f- some cultural changes there needed, or it's then just simply understanding the actual cultural criteria of the business. Mm-hmm. So then you can bring the right executive in. And the best way for me to explain something around that is if you've got a culture of that fast-paced drive dynamic that you'd probably like, and then you bring an executive in that's slow-paced, that's really, in fact, I don't think any private equity firms are going to be going after the slow place. So let me let me bring something different. The creative type executive, the individual who really flamboyant, who's really high energy, who's really high, heavy conversational and you're bringing them into a business where it's real head down, you know, you've just got to think of how do you bring that in. If you're looking to bring a little bit of an element into that, and that's where you want to grow the commercial, and that's that's an element that you need to bring in, and that fits the toolbox or the toolkit of the executives, and therefore you get all three. But you've also got to think of culturally both where's the executive team, but also what's the business. Mm-hmm. The business is sleeping, the executive team, you've got CFOs really dry and doesn't come out of his office, but it's phenomenal at process systems, um, integration uh, of businesses, but really quite timid and and, and likes to be in the background and you've got COOs just process driven etc now you've got a business that is that 
now what are you probably missing? You're probably missing an element of that um, that camaraderie, that leadership type, the the engagement employees, the building relationships, the commercial uh, element of uh, of working, commercial acumen of working with clients. So you've got your cultural element from your C-suite team, and then you've also got your desired outcome. Hmm. So Alex, what is a culture fit assessment exactly? What does that look like? And how does that differ from other types of assessments that are used in hiring? But what does that look like exactly throughout your process? Yeah, so the the cultural fit assessment that we run through, again, probably a difficult one for a lot of firms to, to kind of go through because over the years of recruitment, you begin to build the understanding of what a good executive looks like and how mm-hmm. they communicate. But in essence, it's the makeup of an individual that we're assessing, we're looking. And we do our cultural fit assessments from absolutely everything of their communication. Mm. We're looking from the point of our approach to the discussion right through to from our detailed interview process. And it's the nuances that we look for rather than the, we do have a set of questions that we go through um, on the cultural side, but it's the kind of level of nuance that we we kind of run through with regards to that assessment process and uh, looking at it. So you've, you're looking at anything from a cultural element of, of how this person fits based on the criteria. So again, all we need is the criteria from the business, and then we're looking at what do we need to get from this person. Yeah. We're looking at, if we're doing an interview over Zoom, we're looking at body language type work to how this person is going to fit. This also comes into skill set and characteristics type mode as well. You know, if you've got somebody who's quite laid back and quite sat back in a chair and disinterested, et cetera, you're going to get an in it a feeling of how they're going to run a business, how that's culturally going to fit. You're then looking at the, both their reactions to being challenged, their reactions to being praised, and you're building out a picture of this individual. But so, for example, if we're starting to challenge executives on how they grew a business and what happened and what were the challenges and what did they see, and then we start, we will put a little bit of pressure in that process to then see how that reaction then sits. We'll then look at the, the praise type process of how that sits. And then we'll look at the reference uh, type process when we're taking references of how that person operates and where they run and what do they fit in within the business. So, again, you curtail all of your questioning around what is the criteria of the organization. I've got a, a firm, which they won't mind me naming um, their business, Blackford Capital, have a very high standard of executive that they bring into the business. They've got a very clear criteria, both on experience and on cultural uh, element of the individual they're bringing into that organization from the skill set, um, characteristics type process. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really have to go into detail of, of what we're looking for and how we identify that. And that all comes down to how do you identify that somebody is, which is all simple stuff really, um, but we just don't maybe engage as much of it because the whole interview process is happening. Whereas when we tend to interview them, it tends to be a little bit more relaxed because it's not in a scenario. So we begin to see the real, the body language. We begin to see the real communication level. We begin to see the real passion, the real energy, the real reasons of how they work. How do they deal with certain confrontation with employees? How do they deal with their, their process being challenged and executives in the business asking questions and probing. And that's how you begin to begin to see the actual individual and what they look like and how then you can then fit them into a business. Yeah. You know, and, and Alex, I, I can tell you factually that many executive placement firms don't focus on culture fit at all. And I believe very strongly in this idea that, that you're sharing with our listeners today. And, and that is, you know, the, the leadership culture fit. In fact, I wrote a couple articles on that uh, quite some time ago, and I'll include those in our show notes. 
but this idea of, of really honing in on the leadership, not only the skills, attributes, experience, but making sure that they are, are really the right person to not only necessarily align with the culture, but to put the culture in a position where you need it to be. You know, again, organizational culture has a significant impact on organizational performance in general. So, it, you know, such a crucial idea. So if, if you can just summarize for us this idea of culture fit assessment, what are some of the benefits of a culture fit assessment for both the PE firms and for the candidates? So, you know, what, what does that look like? You know, you've done your job, you just found the, the right match. I mean, what, what are the true benefits? I mean, what does that look like? So if you want to see, so when, you, when you've got that culture right, you've got an organization that is not in the right cultural aspect and you want it to be something, or you've got an executive that fits in with the C-suite, um, rest of the C-suite team, you see the full color of an organization being able to fire and being able to run. So it's easy for me to say, once you get that right, your outcomes become closer. Mm-hmm. So uh, fairly, fairly simple. But when you're looking for those great executives, <clears throat> those exceptional individuals that are proven time and time again, what you'll tend to see is that they're culturally able to change businesses, culturally able to shift businesses' mindsets to make them better organizations to take them through to good liquidity events wouldn't have had previously. Now, all the experience required and everything else sits on, on, on top of that, but that fit of an individual going into a business to what it needs rather than what the, the prime deputy firm thinks or, or wants is absolutely critical. And when we're talking, I'm going to guess on the basis that if you're looking to make a change, it's probably that there's something wrong with the business and that probably needs a cultural aspect change, which is drive motivation, you know, all the stuff that everyone kind of knows and, and would like to see and everything. And that's the big difference is when you have the right executive team with different personalities that bring different levels of, uh, of what's needed in the business, but you need somebody to drive the culture. And if you want to look at any organization in the world and you want to see where that culture's driven, you only need to look at the chief executive mm-hmm. and you will find it. If you find businesses where there is corruption, if you look at the chief executives, you will. if you see businesses, I'm not talking about Fortune 100, I'm talking about lower middle market organizations. If you see businesses where they are lacking commercial sales and driven, it's probably that the chief executive is driving them um, and that's where that's coming from. So if you have a highly motivated, driven, fast-paced, all the words that we use in job specs that we love, that is looking at your chief executive and finding that person, that's where you to make the focus. So yeah. that is the key benefit is you will achieve what you're looking to achieve and the changes will be made. You need to do at that C-suite team to identify what the culture is. And most people could tell you exactly what the business is like. Very interesting. Yeah, good points. You know, Alex, we, we do a lot of cultural assessments. You know, again, as I'd mentioned, ERP organizational change is a significant cultural activity, I would say, and, and mm-hmm. it has a significant impact on the effectiveness and efficiency of ERP organizational change. And we've seen where, you know, sometimes, and, and there are tools to measure the temperature of organizational culture, right? I mean, one of those tools is the Denison model. And, and it takes that, which is more, I would say, subjective and can be a bit abstract and allows you to analyze the culture in a way that's a little more concrete and visible so that you can have productive conversations around the culture of the organization. And, and what we've seen before where we found that leadership is the problem with the culture to begin with. And sometimes it's, it's a fairly, um, I, I don't know if obvious is the right word, but you know, sometimes it, it's pretty easy to build a bit of a case to demonstrate that, that that's the case. You know, hey, 
we don't have a fit here between the culture and the leadership. But yeah, to say that leadership is crucial to organizational culture and setting the tone uh, is a significant understatement, I would say. Well, Alex, thank you. Uh, Great conversation. And before I let you go, we promised the listeners your golden nugget. So here it is. What is your golden nugget of advice for our listeners based on today's conversation? Yeah. So look, private equity professionals, if you're hiring, stop rushing, or even portfolio executives, if you're hiring, stop rushing straight to sourcing. Stop looking straight to how do we find the right executive? Where do we get them from? And start to think, what do you need? Not what do you want? What do you need? What does this business, what does this organization need? What does our private equity firm need? What does our portfolio company firm need? To then build out what they call the scorecard. There's a great book called Who. Now, every executive that does hiring, I believe, should read this book. It's written by a a talent firm, which I believe is called GH Smart. And it's just absolutely phenomenal. And building out those scorecards and understanding exactly what the business needs. And think about the journey and the outcomes that you're looking to do. So if it's a private equity firm, where do you want to get your private equity firm to? If it's your portfolio companies, you're clearly going to have some outcomes already identified, excuse me, already identified if you put those uh, those processes together um, on due diligence, et cetera. And then based on those outcomes, track backwards. What are the hurdles you expect to achieve? What are the issues that you expect to face? Is it that we need ERP uh, implementation? Is it that this is going to be a sales to a strategic? Is it that we need to attain customer knowledge? Is it that we need the level of debt uh, eradicating in order to take this to a liquidity event? Is it that we have people challenges? Is it that we have X? Is it that we have Y? And think about everything from year for the first 12 months to the next five years and identify the challenges that are going to happen. Build out the criteria of what you need from that. Stop going for just, and I mean, look, this is the criteria that you want to be looking for, but the headline criteria is we need a proven executive with um, lower middle market experience that's worked in a business sub 100 million in revenue that's also had industrial services that works for a competitor that's done an exit and boom. Okay, fine. That's great. But let's build into the detail of what the business needs. The business needs a cultural um, change. We're currently a sleepy organization. And then look for the key criteria of what will move the needle in the business. There are usually three areas, the power of three, that are this. These three things happen. The rest will drag along. Those are the criteria that you need to be looking for on top of you know, we need exit experience. We need private. I'm, I'm big game for that. Don't we start going after Fortune 100 candidates? The, the risk level's too high, mm-hmm. uh, and then trying to bring them into private equity. And I know there's people that have done that, and I know people who've been successful. But equally, I, there's, there's too many that haven't. So proven executives, all that's kind of ticked off, and then just break down. We just don't see enough of that breaking down up to that. What are the challenges prior? Build out those scorecards. And for those that haven't heard of scorecards before, they aren't one to five numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a one, he's a five, he's a three. You can build it that way, and I've seen it, but it's just literally, here's the criteria of what we need from an experience perspective. Here's the criteria we need from a cultural perspective. Here's the criteria of what we need from a skill set perspective. Clearly measure exactly what we need. The 100 million, have they done this? Have they led an exit? Have they done that? Build that into your interview questions for questioning actually what happened in this scenario. Google did a huge amount of research. They spent a fortune on how to get the right person into the organization. And they still got to the end of the process and realized there was a (laughs) which doesn't give anyone really any But the main thing they, they did that reduced the level of mistakes was they asked the questions in the interview, not the 
they used to ask the questions about how many golf balls can you fit in a car and you know how many elephants are in the Sahara Desert and stuff like that. And yeah. I know there's still firms that use that. Uh, I believe McKinsey still have a, a questioning based on that. But the questions that they found were the big, the real ones were that you did this, tell me how you did it, tell me in detail what were the challenges, what did you face, how did you overcome them, et cetera, et cetera. And real competency-based questioning will find you the executive you want, and then you will be able to move. Uh, great insight, Alex. Thank you so much. So so today you shared with us what makes a good executive. We talked a little bit about this idea, of course, you know, attributes and key skills, mm-hmm. but also the idea of motivation, hard work, desire, and ability to just get the job done. And you talked about hyper-focusing on really understanding that individual and what made them successful in the past, exactly. But then we talked about really understanding the requirements of the organization so that there's a individual hyper-focused match between that individual and the very specific requirements of the business. Uh, And then you shared with us some of the risk of the wrong executive fit for portfolio companies, which can be significant. And then, of course, we talked a little bit about this idea of, you know, this culture fit assessment and how critical that is for executive leadership. And my hope is that because our conversations here are built around the listen and learn approach, you can now uh, use this great insight from Alex to move the needle forward. So, Alex, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I really do appreciate your time, uh, appreciate the dedication to your practice. I do think you are unique. You certainly have some differentiators. You're focusing on some things that not all executive search firms focus on, that's to be sure. One last favor, Alex, if you can tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you and and how can they learn more about Raw Selection? Yeah, again, appreciate you bringing me on the uh, podcast and discussing talent. It's uh, my favorite, uh, certainly my favorite topic. But if anybody wants to reach out, uh, so Raw Selection, if you Google it, I hope we'll uh, we'll come up uh, in the top and it's Email address is alex.rawlings at raw-selection.com. Anybody that realizes my surname and realizes the company name will work out why. Not the best name for an executive search firm, but uh, I didn't spend too much time thinking about it. And then again, Alex Rawlings, find me on LinkedIn. Uh, there's, there's a fairly famous Alex Rawlings who's multilingual. Uh, I think he's nine, seven or nine different languages. Being a typical Brit, I speak uh, American, English, and Australian fluently. Um, so if you do find somebody who's uh, loads of different languages, that isn't me. But yeah, happy to connect, happy to speak with anybody that wants to talk talent and, uh, and how, we can, uh, how we can help them. Super. Alex, my friend, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate it. And, uh, and we'll talk soon. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the ERP OCJ podcast. This podcast is intended as a forum to study, share, and discuss ERP organizational change successes and challenges. We discuss the people, process, and technological components of ERP organizational change by drawing on knowledge from extensive research, collaborative learning, and practitioner expertise and experience. We are incredibly grateful to have friends, colleagues, and mentors join us in our podcast as we seek to promote, connect, and foster relationships in the ERP organizational change community and contribute to its success by bringing research and practice closer together. We want to make sure this is the most useful and insightful ERP podcast you listen to, and we'd love your help in doing so by leaving us feedback and a review. 
A great place to do so is at Apple Podcasts. Just click on the Listen in Apple Podcasts link, then click Ratings and Reviews, and let us know your thoughts. You can get more info about the show, including show notes and episode highlights for this and all of our episodes by visiting nestleandassociates.com and clicking the podcast option. Please join us again next week as we discuss the latest ERP organizational change research, practice, and stories. And don't forget to follow us on social media, hashtag the ERPOCJ. Thanks again for listening. Have a fantastic week.